0: Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with another episode of Leopold's Hunt Talk Radio. We are wrapping up the 2019 road trip season, and we're now about ready to get back to the realities of life. Uh, We're going to get caught up on podcasts and get back to a regular schedule for everything we produce. In this podcast, Marcus and I are recording as we're driving home from a Wyoming elk hunt that... It's a late season hunt and when you hear about it you're going to realize man these guys don't know what they're doing uh we have to well a lot of people already know we don't know what we're doing but it seems like every once in a while we have to confirm those uh (laughs) those suspicions if you want to call it that but uh anyhow we got lots of cool stuff we're going to talk about uh access issues, uh, applying for, for tags and difficult access areas. Um, how to plan your calendar. Uh, let's see. I think on our list to talk about, we got, uh, the etiquette of sharing hunting spots with your friends or when a friend shares with you, um, stuff like that. So, but, uh, Before we get to all that, I want to thank Leupold for being the title sponsor of this podcast. Um, Appreciate all they do. Go to leupold.com. Check out all their great optics. And if you get a chance ever, thank them for all their support of conservation, access, public lands, hunting, shooting, all the things that they silently put their effort and money behind. Also, Onyx Maps, um, we, well, (laughs) if it wasn't for Onyx Maps, we'd be in a bad hole. Uh, we would never even consider applying for an outcome that we are talking about with this trip. And, uh, if you use promo code Randy, R A N D Y, um, go out to onyxmaps.com, buy their app products. And when you use that promo code, you're going to save 20% on any app products. So just saved you some money there. Orion Coolers, uh, go to orioncoolers.com, use promo code Randy, and save 20% on your cooler purchase. How's that, huh? That's a pretty big discount there on a really, really good item. And then, uh, go hunt. Uh, It's application season, uh, and I know people probably tire of us talking about the tools we use for applications, but the first step in any hunt that we do is acquiring a tag and there's no set of data no resource that we utilize more than Go Hunt's Insider. So if you want access to that, you go to GoHunt.com, sign up for the Insider, and use promo code Randy. And here's two reasons you should use promo code Randy when you sign up. First is you're going to get $50 of mad money, free credit, in their gear shop, a backcountry gear shop put together by serious backcountry hunters. That's one reason. The second reason you'd use promo code Randy is this year, anyone who used promo code Randy from July 1st, 19 to June 30th of 2020, us and Gohan, we're going to go out there and we're going to buy one of these transferable Wyoming commissioners tags and that commissioner's tag is going to be given away to somebody who over the course of that 12 month period i just mentioned has used promo code randy when they signed up for the insider so two reasons one save yourself some money or at least get some mad money and two you might be the lucky person who wins that commissioner's tag and it's not like there's any strings attached here's the tag go have a great hunt and uh we're not saying we got to film it or anything like that we just want someone to to have a really really cool hunt and how those work in wyoming is when you get a commissioner's tag you get to apply or get to use it for either elk deer antelope for whatever season code is open that you say i want to hunt and it's as if you drew that tag so there you have it folks um Really appreciate you being here. Apologize for some of the gaps we've had in posting podcasts, but when you spend 130 days on the road, uh, it's just hard at times. So we're going to be back home late, late tonight, and we're going to start doing podcasts on a regular basis. So I'm going to click the button here. Marcus is going to jump in, and we're going to be talking about all things hunting. Thanks for being here. Well, folks. Like I said, uh, this is another one of those road trip podcasts, so if you hear a little road noise, it's because we are racing the Titan down Interstate 25, soon to be Interstate 90, once we join up there north of Buffalo, Wyoming, and Marcus and I just got done with at least the last hunt of 2019. Yeah. Yeah. The hardest oh, a big game
1: hunt for sure.
0: Yeah, the hardest day of hunting of all of 2019, <laughs> I think. But maybe I'm just—I might just be getting soft, Marcus. When did you leave your first day of the season? August first uh, or something. August
1: first, like we—I uh, was filming for a film that we're doing. Right. We were that, so we were filming fishing, and and then uh, and then we had the deer deer hunt in Nevada. Yeah, And that was right after that.
0: So I left August 10th, and today when we were up on that frozen, windswept, chilling... I I can't list all the descriptive words of how miserable (laughs) it was, but on our way back down the mountain, I was doing the math for my own calendar. I left August 10th, and... Today being December 18th, I believe it is, 17th or 18th. Anyhow, whatever day it is, I did the math, and this was day 129 since my season started. And since you started 10 days before I did, <laughs> you're getting close to 140 days. And I was trying to, I, the gaps at home are so small, like they're hard to remember them. Yeah. But I don't think it had of those 129 days. I don't think it had more than 20 days at home, maybe 25.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was home the last two weeks and it was almost a little. Really? Kara? Of, yeah. It was like, uh,. I don't know. going to get rid of you? I mean, you're, oh. that, that's kind of like hanging on there. <laughs> I don't know about that, but more so sitting in the office. I was like, man, I'm not built for <laughs> sitting at a desk.
0: Marcus is the one guy in the office that if it was 40 below with a 100-mile-an-hour wind, and you say, Marcus, you have the choice. Going out and filming today or sitting here editing, Marcus would have his cameras packed, and he'd be out in the minus... 100 degree wind chills. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, it's not bad. It's it's all right sitting at the desk every now and then. But yeah, uh, well, I was definitely I'm... itching to get back out. But after two weeks of <laughs> sitting in the office. Yeah. And so
0: we got to get Marcus back out. I was in Arizona the week, the first week of December. And then I had to do trade show stuff last week. Uh, I did have a few days home. And then we left early Monday morning coming down here to Wyoming. And this is a tag that we've talked about in the past. And I'm going to tell the audience what unit it is so that nobody applies there. (laughs) And when you hear how this day and a half of fiasco unfolded, you'll know why I'm trying to discourage you because I will never apply there again. It's unit 125 down by Elk Mountain and that area uh we had heard that it's really really difficult access there and that kind of puts a smile on my face because i envision myself as the charlie daniels of the X map um, <laughs> i not that i'm you know the greatest in the world at it but i'm pretty darn handy with it as marcus is <laughs> And we noticed that, based on the 2018 draw results, you could get that tag as a second choice in the special draw. So I knew that it was unlikely I would draw in the random draw, even though Parente, Michael Parente in our office <laughs> do. I, I think we're going to cut him off from applying.
1: Yeah, he did pretty good though. Well, I know, but we want to go. <laughs>
0: The three of us all applied for the same unit, and who gets the tag? Michael. Yeah. But anyhow, I, I knew I wouldn't draw on the random draw, most likely. So I thought, well, I'll do this second choice one. And the goal was, we were going to come down, and we were going to hunt strictly BLM land that you could, that a road touched, a public road. So... If you ever look at the land ownership pattern of Unit 125, it's this huge checkerboard, as is most of the corridor along I-80, all the way from Cheyenne to the Utah border. And the history of that is the railroad companies got that land for building the railroads back in the, whatever it would be, 1850s or 60s or 70s, something like that. And they got every other section, and that's what created the checkerboard stuff. It's not like the BLM said, well, let's go out there and create this checkerboard headache. So Marcus and I go down there. I had completely the wrong ideas in my head.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right.
0: I I was sure that we would find more than four sections. By section, I mean one square mile. Uh, There's range, townships, and a township is six miles by six miles, and each of those 36 little squares inside a township is a section. So when we refer to a section, we're talking about a square mile. Yep. So we went down Monday afternoon, got there Monday afternoon, after leaving early in the morning, and... We found four sections that we could get to.
1: Yeah, that that have potential for elk anyway. Yeah, yeah, potential. There's some other stuff that's, uh, you never <laughs> yeah. know, there could be an elk that wanders across it, but it's uh, yeah. basically snow and sagebrush with no tracks whatsoever going through any of it. <laughs> yeah, one of the other things we found, and I don't know
0: how this works out, but anyhow, Carbon County, Wyoming, where this is located, has you can go out to their website, and they have an atlas of all public roads within the county. So I did that. I downloaded it. And it has a little legend down in the lower right. This is a county road, state highway, interstate, Forest Service Road, BLM Road. And one of the roads that probably would've got us to at least as much land as we were able to find. Yeah. Showed up on that map as a public road, and it said BLM Road. So we drove up there Monday evening with the idea that, all right, this is high country, this is, the way it zigzags, it's gonna get us to three or more f- sections of what on the on X looked like really good elk habitat. Yeah unfortunately
1: <laughs> for being a public road that it sure had a lot of private land signs and a lot lock gate, lock and, gate uh, all that so <laughs> we
0: were trying to figure out if is the Carbon County website wrong and we had a bum map that we downloaded there or is this not a BLM road or is this a BLM road but they don't have an easement through this little corner of private where the gate was? Or possibly maybe the landowner said, you know what, I'm going to put a lock on this gate. I, it could be any of those, I, yeah, I, don't, I know. don't know. But suffice to say, one of our big parts of, uh, of the strategy was down the tube right away. So. We uh, we couldn't get in to another direction that we wanted to go because the snow drifts were so high. So I had to go all the way around the other side and we did get in there, but we didn't see any elk that afternoon. We found some other hunters. Yeah, we did. We saw, what, three, two other rigs, three other rigs up there? Yeah, they were giving it a I think go. they were doing the same thing we were yep I'm trying think so. <laughs> to find little pieces of land that you could hunt uh, and yeah you, you get a bunch more people on those few little segments of land and it gets crowded in a hurry uh, so lots of morals to this story is one we had to pick it <coughs> excuse me we had to pick a, a short window of time because of our calendar and how many other things we got going on we'd planned to hunt monday afternoon tuesday and wednesday morning so two days yeah and when we picked those days we had no idea that the reputation wyoming has for wind was going to increase I. I have never spent a day on a mountain as windy as it was today.
1: Yeah, there was a high wind warning where it was calling for 30 to 40 mile an hour winds with 65 mile an hour gusts. Yeah, six uh, five. Yeah, that's a little breezy. <laughs> and then combined with the fact that it was one degree. Yeah. First thing in the morning, it kind of it's kind of just painful to be yeah. out there. I I don't
0: know what kind of wind chill that is, (laughs) really low, like single degree, one to four degrees with, I don't know, even up on the ridge, what the wind was blowing, but even down on the draws, it was still chucking.
1: Yeah, it it warmed up, but it was still just like, oh man, just my hands would just go numb trying to film. Poor Marcus has to try to run a camera in this, <laughs> and we have—we found out that we have a camera that doesn't like cold. Yeah, one of the audio inputs likes to cut out when it gets cold, so that's—that's that's a nice feature. Yeah, it's pre- and then Marcus has to stand up on this windswept ridge
0: with his bare fingers.
1: Well, that was kind of my own doing. That was—I probably should have had some gloves on. But no, but <laughs> I mean, when you're
0: trying to fix that.
1: Oh yeah, yeah,
0: that's. But... That, that's a bad way right out of the gate, right at daylight, to yeah. get your fingers really cold. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, as his fingers turned purple and white, I think he said, you know what? I don't think I can fix this. So we just dealt with it. We had one input. <laughs> but uh, here, here's, I don't know if this is a lesson or just karma, but there's this rig right on our tail, Right at daylight, right at, you know, the sun's just coming up, and I'm thinking, you know what? This guy obviously wants to get up to the top of the pass here in a hurry, so I pull over, little county road, I'm not a two-track, it's a county road, but there's ruts because of how much snow is there, and so I pull off to the side. The guy gets around us, and as the guy is going around us, he waves, but Marcus is looking up on the mountain, And he says, I think I see some elk up there. So the only elk we saw in our little travel to Wyoming, Marcus saw, as we pulled off the side of the road. You suppose that was just like a reward for being good guys? I guess,
1: yeah. We probably wouldn't have ever seen them if we hadn't stopped. I wouldn't have. No. Because first of all, they were on
0: my side of the road, and I don't have as good eyes as you do. (laughs) Second of all, if we would have drove even another... Two, three hundred yards, they would have been out of sight. Yep. So, that gave us a little more enthusiasm to go out and combat the elements. Well, Uh, and
1: surprisingly, they were on public land. Yeah, they were on BLM. Which is like, for the, you know, I kept thinking we were going to see elk, but they were going to be on private. And we happened to see some that are actually on public.
0: Yeah, that was, Uh,
1: quite honestly, I, I almost
0: thought, that can't be. With this little bit of public land, the only place we're going to see elk is on the public land. Right. But they were on the move because there's a cow elk season going on there right now. And I suspect these ones, they've probably been shot at. And they know the dangers of being out in the open. Yeah. They were
1: not... uh, They were... They weren't really feeding or anything. They were just kind of trucking right along. Yeah. Weren't running, but they were making a move.
0: They were on a, a brisk walk. Yeah. And we thought we'd get in front of them and cut them off, but elk can move pretty fast. Yeah. They don't look like they're moving fast, but I've heard that they walk four to five miles per hour. Is really? that just true? Match.
1: I don't I'm sure they can walk a lot faster if they want to.
0: Yeah. Well... <laughs> And then you got a slow accountant like me huffing and puffing up the ridge because we had to go up this pretty steep face. Not not that high, maybe three or 400 feet of vertical, but to get up to where I thought we could cut them off. Well, by the time we got there, we saw where their tracks had already filtered past where we were going to cut them off, and then they headed over the ridge, which was private. So... We went to our next section of BLM, and we didn't even hunt it. (laughs) We got there, busted through a bunch of drifts, and the wind was blowing so hard, you could barely stand up. What is the old Jim Croce song, Don't Ever Spit in the Wind? Something like that? (laughs) Well, that would be good advice for up there today.
1: Yeah, it was kind of, kind of crazy. Yeah. Just the ground blizzard too, like just snow blown across.
0: Yeah. It was. And shocking. I don't think there was a tree on any of the sections of ground we could hunt. Was there? Was did we see a tree?
1: No. Not the n- not on public. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not on not, public that wasn't landlocked.
0: Yeah. So, if there's one benefit of that, you could see everywhere. Yeah, I mean, you could look up these drainages, even up from the county road. You could look up and see, and wasn't a lot going on. So then we went all the way down to the other end of the mountain, and there's one little section of state land that touches the road there. And as far as cover and habitat, it's right up there with a billiard table. <laughs>
1: Yeah, not a lot going on on that one.
0: Do you think any elk ever use that?
1: I bet they pass through every now and then. I think you just got to get real lucky.
0: That would re- that would have required a huge stroke of luck. If one would have been out there...
1: Yeah, you, wouldn't have, you probably couldn't have stocked it if there was yeah. one out there. It would have seen you. So.
0: <clears throat> so, rather than fight another day of wind like that, I made the call that, you know, at this afternoon... As much work as we've got to do and everything else. Crazy schedule, trying to get stuff done before year end and over the holidays. We're going home. And I feel like a quitter.
1: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't... It kind of wasn't that fun. No, it was no fun (laughs) at all. And like I told
0: you up on the mountain there, I said that in 12 years of doing this... I've never had a day where it really felt like work when we're out in the field. But today felt like work.
1: And then us being spoiled, we both have uh, full freezers already. Yeah. So there's, we have that going for us too. Yeah. Wow. If I didn't have an elk, I would have been a little more <laughs> gung ho, I think. <laughs> Me too.
0: I have an <laughs> elk, part of a moose, better part of a caribou, a mule deer. Yeah, my freezer's not not going to be empty next week. Yeah. But we're going to make a short video out of it because we want people to realize that sometimes we just have those trips also where nothing goes right. As hard as you want to make it work, a lot of times you were overly optimistic in your planning. I mean, just about anything that I could have screwed up in my planning of a haunt, I think I screwed up on this one.
1: Well, it's hard to know that that road wasn't going to be open, and that was kind of a bummer.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. But also, like a lot of people who listen and watch our stuff, <clears throat> we had to pick this short window of time.
1: Yeah. No, if you, I mean, if you sat, I bet if you sat on that section where we saw those cows today, if you sat there for a week, there's... a Decent chance you'd get a opportunity. Yeah, I think you're I mean, right. I mean, I, it's hard to tell. Maybe what we saw was a fluke too. Yeah. Um, but
0: no, I think you're right. There were some older tracks in the snow from a few days prior. I I would bet if you made it your deliberate purpose to sit there for five days, you'd get a chance. Yeah. But you'd probably today you would have froze to death.
1: It would have been, yeah, it would have been pretty hard to not get frostbite. <laughs> yeah. My, <laughs> like, it was, yeah, it was bad. My cheeks and my
0: nose, I couldn't feel them by the time we got off there. I, And it kind of fakes you out because as our on our way in there, we were kind of going with the wind a little bit at our back, kind of angling over our shoulder. But then when you, we turned and had to come back into that wind, yeah, I instantly realized... Somebody could get hurt up here, and it's more likely to be me than it is an elk. <laughs> uh, so, anyhow, folks, every once in a while we get this wild idea. And I, well, so Unit 125, like a lot of units in Wyoming, has the little asterisk in that application booklet that means access is difficult. Well, just about every place we apply, in Wyoming, for elk or deer or antelope has that asterisk by it. That's how you're able to draw more tags. Yeah. And when some of the locals explained to me that, man, this unit really has, it has the toughest access that you're going to find in an elk unit. I kind of took that as a little bit of a challenge. Like, <laughs> well, let's go do it. Well, I should have done it as the first hunt of the season, not after I'm dragging and I mean, I'm, yeah I'm wore out by this time of the year. <laughs> I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm complaining. I'm just saying that physically you're wore down. Yeah, for sure.
1: Although I don't know if we're going to get any sympathy from uh, people listening. No, I don't expect I don't... <laughs> any sympathy.
0: None. I I have the best job, as my wife says, <laughs> the best job I ever bought, which tells you how little money this job pays. Uh, but I yeah, I don't want to ever come across as complaining because on the on the way down the hill after we quit recording anything, m- somehow Marcus and I got on this conversation about. Well, it could be worse. I think Marcus (laughs) told me, "Hey, it could be worse," and I said, "Yeah, I guess it could be one of those days when you show up on a Monday and your boss says you get to clean the crapper all week."
1: Yeah, but you're not cleaning the crapper, right? (laughs) I mean, that that analogy won't hold true to the people who are out there cleaning the crappers right now. (laughs) That's true. I mean, it's like we're still outside. Having, You know, it might be type 2 fun, but we're still outside hunting. No, that
0: was really good of you to say that because it it added that extra perspective that put a smile on my face to say, you know what, Randy, even though you are dead tired, you've been sleeping in tents or getting up early, eating crappy meals and... Then when you come home, you know, when I come home, it's just this rat race of trying to take care of all the business part of what we do, trying to be a CPA a little bit so that I can pay my bills and trying to be a little bit of a husband. Thank God for my wife being as patient and tolerant as she is. If anyone has a form for the nomination of sainthood, would you please forward it to me so I could put my wife's name on there? So, yeah, we bailed. I'm sorry. I'm I'm trying in my mind to reconcile that. Was it just futility and a good decision to get back to the office because of all the work we have to do and all the year-end things at the CPA firm that I've been deferring and deferring, but I can't defer any longer? Or am I candy ass and I just quit?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know. You guys got to weigh out the potential positives and negatives. And there wasn't a whole lot of positive prospects down there.
0: No. (laughs) If we would have had even a, a little bit more land to work with.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, it would have just turned into you go post up on the one section and you just wait. And, like, maybe, I mean, it's not like you can, it's you don't have the opportunity to hike further and push into, you know, right. some other place. Or, like, it's just a complete waiting game at that point and hoping that they come through that section and yeah. waiting when it's blowing 40 miles an hour isn't that fun.
0: <laughs> That's not a fun waiting game. No, no. I, I, people say ice fishing is cold. <laughs> I've never been as cold ice fishing as I felt this morning. Yeah. But if, even if those three sections had been connected, I would have felt like we had a little bit more to work with. Right. Yeah. But they were all disconnected. They they didn't adjoin. So you walk in there, and if you walk into the middle of it, okay, and go a half mile
1: east, or and go a half mile west, and yeah, when you're they, talking about elk,
0: they move
1: a lot. Yeah, and then even even some of those sections, you almost feel like you can't really hunt them because if a corner of it goes down a drainage and then the bottom of the drainage or you know off the side of the corner or private, it's like man, you don't dare shoot anything in right. there because if it runs a hundred yards, it's going to be on private. Yeah. And so, yeah.
0: So it's. Uh lot of lessons for me i don't know if the audience will get any <laughs> any learning or takeaway yeah. points from it but for me i was i was making a lot of mental notes about yeah, what I think, not to do
1: yeah i mean i think like you're saying obviously the draws are better in units that have difficult access and that's a, a strategy you use a lot but maybe you can go too far <laughs> and uh where if you only have so many, uh, you know, options, it's,
0: yeah, your I, um,
1: chances of success are pretty low, but yeah, I w- although uh, the place is sweet. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if you got, if you got some connections or if you want to pay for a, an outfitter, there's some, that's some cool country for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, really but it's cool. just tough trying to hunt it from the roads with the pieces of public that touch the road.
0: Yeah, I think if I was a local there and I could just go make that little loop yeah. every morning or every evening in hunting season, because the season is three months long for bulls and then another <laughs> month for cows, Yeah, you'd fill your tag if you... I mean, if I was a local there, I'd be I'd be comfortable with that. You just have to wait your turn and know that if you keep at it, sooner or later some elk are going to be on one of those Yeah, seconds. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah... Uh, <clears throat> Definitely uh, got a little bit full of myself there, thinking that we could figure that one out. <laughs> so made a donation to Wyoming Game and Fish, and I was so confident that we were going to come down here and root out some elk that I even had market apply for a leftover cow tag when they came out last summer. So that was another donation to Wyoming Game and Fish, <laughs> a great organization. I'm not. I have zero uh regrets or or any worries about my money being donated to wyoming game and fish they do a great job yeah but i sure would like to have these days back that i kind of burned during a period of time when those of you who who aren't cpas may wonder why december is such a crazy month for cpas well april 15th you can get an extension March 15th, you can get an extension. All these deadlines for corporate, trust, individual return. Well, year-end planning, you can't get an extension. It's like (laughs) it has to be done by December 31st. So most CPAs come to dread the period between Christmas and New Year's. Mm. It's the worst time of the year, at least if you're in the tax side. So, yeah, I got that going on. I I could have got a lot of stuff done in those two days, but I learned a lot. Maybe I learned enough on making so many mistakes on this hunt that it'll save us two days on some future hunt. Yeah. I hope. So then we also got to talk about Wyoming's, whether you want to call it, trespass laws, landowner laws, whatever. Mm-hmm. So the first day we get there, we get snowed, we get all these snow drifts. We can't get up to where we want to go. And I showed Marcus my on-axe. I said, well, there's all these sections here that touch the interstate, but my understanding is, and hopefully someone will correct me if I'm wrong, you can't just park on the interstate and go. You have to find a, a some turnoff or some some yeah exit or entrance ramp i believe
1: i would imagine i've definitely seen where people do it and i I have no idea if that's legal or not
0: but i wasn't going to chance it so we go driving down the interstate and there's this exit we pull off because there's a piece it touches a piece of blm so we pull into the piece of blm open the gate and there's a sign there that says you know Public, private, please stay on public. BLM has a lot of those yellow signs that say Mm -hmm. that. And we're looking at our on X, and when you look at it, you see a road that goes to the northwest and one that goes to the northeast. And the one that goes northwest runs through a section of private, and while we're sitting there, we look, and we saw something that we thought was a sign. So I'm like, no, I think that's where it crosses that private Let's not even go that direction. Let's go way to the back end here, to the far northeast end. And it had just snowed and there's tire tracks going that way. I'm like, okay, this is the road. And so we go there. Uh, And now the road starts going hard east. I thought we were gonna go northeast. And we go hard east and then it turns and goes straight north. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, as it turns and starts going straight north, Marcus looks over at his phone and says, hey, the road just crossed into private. And at that time, we're working our way up this little snowed-in, rutted-up two-track. So we get to the rise about, I don't know, 100, 150 yards up there. Stop, look at our maps, like, oh, crap. How, where's the two-track we're looking for? So we turn around, go back, and in less than a minute, we're back on BLM land. Uh, and then we continue on our way out to where we, where the interstate off-ramp is. And there waiting for us is a landowner who, I think he's the landowner outfitter. I think so. And uh, needless to say, he'd seen where I'd come down off that little ridge there for a couple hundred yards when I'd realized that this was not the two-track we are looking for. And I suppose he thought, oh, this guy's trespassing. He's just, you know, I'm sure he has to deal with more headaches in hunting season.
1: I'm sure, yeah. Than I, you
0: can imagine. I get it, you know. And uh, so I caused a spike in his blood pressure. Uh, I apologized to him. I said, you know, as quick as we got there and realized we were, because we were just inside where the boundary, his property was to the east. We were just on the east side of the boundary, like, very, very minutely, but uh, we were. And as quick as we found out, turned around, came back. Uh, obviously, with what I do and being the public land advocate, last thing I want to do is upset a private landowner. And, you know, I think if you're going to advocate for public lands, you better also be a big supporter of private lands. And the guy, he was understandably upset. And... I said, you know, if you want to call the sheriff or if you want to do whatever, I, I, I you know, well, here's what happened. And I, I told told him what happened. And uh, he's like, just, you know, be on your way. Uh, and last night I looked him up, his, his outfitting business. I sent him an email apologizing again and tried to explain to him, you know, we, <laughs> whether you're on his property by a foot or by a couple hundred yards, it probably doesn't really yeah. matter. He probably has to deal with it enough that he's thinking, here we go again. So, well,
1: yeah, I and mean, I think it's just a lesson to look real close at the map because, <clears throat> yeah, there was a road that was on the map, but that road didn't exist anymore. Like, it probably hadn't existed for a long time, right? But it's it, just like on the map, you just see it going right up there, but yeah, because just, the, the not, doesn't so. exist. <laughs>
0: Yeah. On on X gets these maps from the BLM, right? And on that BLM map, it shows a two track. And actually, even <coughs> as we're driving away, and I'm apologizing to the guy, uh, I said, "Where is this two track we were looking for that goes up to the northeast corner?" And he says,
1: "Oh, it's been gone for a long time." Yeah, and it's, it's fairly common. I mean, if you uh, there's a, it's like a there's quite a few. Maps that show roads that just don't exist anymore, or yeah. there'll be a brand new spanking road right, they, that's not on the map. Because yeah. especially with oil and gas stuff, like in Wyoming, there's all this oil and gas stuff, so it's like, yeah, that's that's one of the on-ground things that you, you can't always get from a map. Yeah, <laughs> there's just so many new new roads going in, or old roads that don't exist anymore. So
0: yeah, yeah. so
1: a couple things. lot of things
0: that come with that very often we get the question of if I see a road on my map does that mean it's public no the answer is no and no and no and that's why I even went so far as to download that map from the county road department I think is where I got it uh but I knew that if that road went on to private I knew that you couldn't go there Mm -hmm. but so here's a lesson. When, you ha- when you're when you in a checkerboard place, drill down into your map way down in there. Don't yeah. have it as a, you know, like where it shows three sections on your screen. That way you absolutely know when you're maybe uh, getting on a boundary or close to a boundary. Uh, so that's a lesson. Another lesson is understand that if something like that happens, I I thought the guy could have handled it a lot worse. I told him, you know, look, here's what happened, and if you want to call the sheriff, I'll, you know, fess up. And, you know, I would have taken him up there and said, here's our tracks. Here's where we turned around. We didn't even get out of the vehicle. But, yeah, this turnaround right here is on your property. And so I, I try to put myself in their shoes and think, all right, he's been dealing with hunters. In this checkerboard area that he probably operates in, since I don't know August 15th when Archie yeah. Antelope opened, well, I man. suspect by now he's had his fill of it. Whether, whether it's intentional or unintentional.
1: Oh yeah, I'm sure. It's just like that's just the nature of the the beast on those checkerboard units. And yeah, you gotta be su- Yeah, it's just. It's a pain, really. It's like a full-time thing. you got to be constantly looking at the map. Yeah. It's, it's hard. <laughs> that's, that's another frustration another reason that people don't apply for those tags, I think, is they yeah. just get so sick of dealing with trying to, you know, make sure you're exactly where you're supposed to be.
0: Yeah. So, I, you know, we parted ways and I kept apologizing. And I don't know if he went up there and looked or not, but if he did, he would have seen... what we said and what we explained and and uh oh well i i feel terrible about it in fact last night i just that's why i had to send him an email i i take that stuff so seriously it just ruined my day Mm -hmm. as unintentional as it was as much as i thought this was where the road was looping us back to that northeast corner of the section i was wrong and uh but I wonder if Wyoming is like Montana, where we have almost two forms of criminal trespass in Montana, one while you're hunt in the act of hunting and one that's just trespass. Hopefully I never accidentally do anything where I got to be an expert on Montana trespass law. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I certainly wouldn't do it intentionally, but. In Wyoming, I wonder if they have one that's the act of hunting and one that's just, hey, I was on someone's property. Because we weren't there out hunting. No. We were lost. Not lost. We were we were looking for a road that we didn't find. So I wonder how they would have handled it. So lessons there, folks, is even though I think I'm pretty darn handy with that stuff, and I am, sometimes you're focusing on you know rutted up old two-track bouncing along thinking that all right it's going to take us out to the northeast corner and we've got over a half mile to go before we got to worry about anything well
1: (laughs) yeah well and that's the thing too if you're, you're driving on like super snowy roads and like all the to tracks. try to look at the, your phone, you know, like yeah. that's that's the thing. Like you no, like... if I, if,
0: Marcus, <laughs> if you wouldn't have been looking at your phone and yeah. said, "Hey, we just crossed into private," yeah, because of the amount of tracks that had been through there, yeah. I thought that was the main road. That, like, yeah. oh, this is this will take you there. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have even thought to look then. I don't know. Yeah, which is a reminder that when you're hunting checkerboard places. You almost, like, in the world of flight, you have the pilot and the navigator. <laughs> you almost need a navigator to be looking all the time. But So those are, those are lessons. And the other, you know, the other lesson is if you go to Wyoming or even any state for that matter, just because you see a road, a little two-track that goes somewhere, it does not mean it's a public
1: road. yeah and there doesn't need to be signs like it's right and some because i think some states where they some states
0: require that that you post it right
1: but like a lot of the western states right or at least i know montana and wyoming are for sure you don't need you don't have to post it you're just
0: right it's the responsibility of whoever is there right you know moving across the landscape it's your responsibility to know the land ownership and anyhow lots of lessons came of that little excursion yesterday and you know it it took us less than a minute to get from where we turned around back onto the blm probably 40 seconds (laughs) but the fact of the matter was we had made you know we'd followed all these tracks that there so there's fresh snow fresh tire tracks it's like okay that's where the road goes. And I'm just glad that you looked at your map and said, Hey, I think we just crossed into private. Well, that time I'm going up this really steep stretch. And so there's no place to turn around. I'm like, well, we're going to go to th- this little rise up here, a hundred yards ahead of us, find the first flat spot, turn around and get out of here. And, and that's what we did. And so I'm not going to say the guy's name, but I feel bad about giving him a spike in blood pressure and I what do you do? Yeah. I I hope that if anyone else ever did anything accidentally, you'd just say, Hey, I'm sorry. Uh that's all I could say is yeah. I'm I'm sorry. It wasn't intentional and my fault and something tells me if I would have tried to BS him, he probably would have responded differently.
1: But No, yeah, I think just taking it as a lesson that like you gotta just yeah be looking at that map constantly but no i i definitely it like makes me less likely to hunt those areas i just it's just like yes. this, the added stress of doing that constantly yeah it, but, it ruined mean, my whole day
0: just the gut ache of <laughs> having accidentally done something that I take so important. I mean, it's one of my highest priorities and, oh, well, I'll we make a mistake. And I, I did. And even though it was, I mean, some would measure it by degree. Well, you weren't out there walking around or you, you know, you stopped right away and you were barely on his property. To me, it doesn't matter. I hold myself to a level that I'm supposed to.
1: Yeah. I think most people though, look at it like, was it malicious? Like, were you doing it? Like knowing that you were doing wrong or is it like, was it an honest mistake? Yeah. And I feel like at first he thought that it was like, we were doing it on purpose. And it's like, no. That
0: like, he thought that? Yeah. I think yeah, that. But it's true. just
1: like, man, like, come on. Like, real, like, no, like it's an honest mistake. Like, yeah, we were, we were in the wrong, but it's like, it's a mistake.
0: Yeah. So anyhow, I'm glad that he just <clears throat> let it drop. Yeah. And needless to say. There were some other sections over that way, and I just said, you know what, I'm not even going to look over this way, because the last thing I want to do is just have that guy think I'm out here sneaking around, bumping around the edges, and yeah. uh, it's like, no, how will that? We're hunting south of the interstate. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, we got all kinds of lessons out of this. Yeah. No, one of the lessons is know that if you only have about two days and you pick two days, you could run into the worst weather you've ever hunted in. <laughs> so if you can, give yourself at least five, because the likelihood is a couple of those days will be good.
1: Yeah, and I feel like we, like, you know that, right? I mean, generally you plan for having five days at least on a hunt. Yeah. But it's just like, ah, we could do it in two, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah i wonder what what the windage hold would be in a 65 mile an hour direct if it was a direct crosswind i don't
1: know i just want to be about 100 yards away <laughs> i don't know if i would even shot at 100 yards yeah if it was a crosswind it'd be hard to hold your gun steady. yeah it'd a, just be
0: blowing a... your your you couldn't i don't think you could get in a position where yeah. the wind wouldn't be moving your reticle and your your rifle so yeah
1: although that being said i think i don't know if we would have ever actually found an elk on top of those ridges because they wouldn't have wanted to be there no, either i don't I think, think so when you got down in the bottom it wasn't as bad i think that's probably where the elk were, were yeah. today is down in the draws or bedded in the yeah which off, are just off wind sides of the hills yeah or... and all of that is private yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of options. Um, and then the forecast for tomorrow is the wind's supposed to die down. The wind's only supposed to be 20 to 30. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm such a wuss, I didn't even want to fight that for another day. But So that's kind of why we never tell people... Well, let me restate that. That's why we told people where this hunt or at least this hike in the wind took place (laughs) because normally we never do that and we get all kinds of pressure to do that i get people the number of emails messages posts on social media what unit what unit where you at what what mountain there's the standard answer out of respect of other hunters and other people who apply here we do not give that information i hope you understand yeah and most people understand
1: but it, a lot of people yeah they get, I, they get mad if uh, we don't tell them oh yeah but then there's also people who get really mad if you do tell all oh, right I, so i think I, it's a it's like almost a different culture i noticed i mean i don't know it's interesting having gone to all these uh western states with you now and like witnessing that i mean it seems like in some of the states like utah or Arizona I I don't know if it's like where people have where they don't go as hunting as much because the units are so hard to draw it seems like people are more willing to share what unit or what you know certain Mm -hmm. spots or whatever but like growing up in Montana for me it was like oh no you don't tell people (laughs) you don't tell people where you were at like that's not a thing like no I don't I don't want people to To know where I was at. (laughs) Well,
0: I want to make sure we cover that. But before we get to that point about the ethics of sharing information or, you know, someone takes you to their spot, I want to put a kind of a little bow around what we just started on there. So many people ask us that information. We don't give it. I've had sponsors tell me they got emails from irate viewers because we wouldn't give them information about this unit. This, you know, some people have asked for what drainage.
1: Oh yeah. Well, didn't you like on the old uh, intro to on your own adventures? Like, yeah. you, you had like the little coordinate thing, right? Yeah, we had didn't coordinates you? there, yeah. and
0: uh, I don't know if they ever t- the editors took care of all that, but when we first started. The coordinates were someplace not even on the North American continent. And some guy emailed me. I stopped that and looked, and those are not right coordinates. (laughs) I know that. (laughs) So if you're going to use our footage as your scouting tool, man, you've missed the whole idea of what we're trying to do. And you might get led astray because... Marcus and the editors, they know to put a few, what do you call Easter bunnies? Easter eggs? Easter eggs in there where you're going to see, by design at times, footage from other states, other units, other places that are not where we're hunting. So be
1: careful. (laughs) I, I can tell you that. Might see a little b roll, nice little mountain scenery that yeah. doesn't belong.
0: The the one that always cracks me up is we did a bear hunt and we put a a peak that is very recognizable. Yeah. And it was eighty miles from where we were actually where we shot a bear. The number of people who said, I know exactly where you were I'm like, Okay. You've been there before. That's why you would know exactly where that mountain is. Yeah. But if they went there bear hunting, They didn't see us there. (laughs) And, you know, if someone recognizes something in the footage, because it's always this balance of, do we just show the back of somebody's head, or do we just show some aspen trees, or do we show the landscape? Do we, you know, if there's an elk on a mountain out there, and we're getting footage of it, yeah, when we pull back, you might see a ridgeline or something. Yeah.
1: No, that's definitely a balancing act. Like, even... I mean, I'm consciously thinking about it at, when mm-hmm. I'm filming. Like, there's certain like there's certain places if it's like very prominent, very recognizable, I just don't film it. Right. Or if it's like a sign, like you know, they don't yeah. give away where you're at, it's like I don't film it. Um, but at the same time, yeah, like you're saying, you you want to show the landscape, you got to you want to see the scenery and yeah, show off where you're at. And uh, I don't know. It's um. definitely a personal struggle for me.
0: So, Mm -hmm. hopefully, if you're listening, you understand that we put a lot of thought into that, I guess, is the takeaway. And if you're listening and you know somebody who does their scouting by watching video content, that's that's a pretty bad way to do your scouting. Imagine if that's how we did our scouting.
1: Yeah, I mean...
0: Uh, We'd shoot just about nothing. (laughs) Right. so that being what it is, one of the things we wanted to touch on was the etiquette of sharing a spot with somebody. Or someone shared a spot with you. Yeah. Or maybe it's just a piece of information. I don't know. It's it's highly guarded stuff. For and, sure. And if somebody takes you to their spot, don't think that that's now your spot. Exactly. Quote, unquote. I mean, yeah, it's public land. It's whatever, and anyone can do what they want to do. But if you want to quickly plow through a list of hunting friends, start taking other people to places they took you, or start going there without maybe running up by them. Yeah. And say, hey, I know you filled your tag. Do you mind if I go in there? I'll
1: go by myself. Right. No, it's a touchy, it's a touchy one, for sure. And I, I struggle with it all the time, like telling people where I was or who to share stuff with. Cause I mean, it's I've had plenty of spots shared with me as well that, you know, and that's like a struggle or I've even had like the situation where for whatever reason I figure out where somebody's spot is without them telling like, yeah. you know, maybe something. And then it's like, and then it's just like in my mind, it's like, all right, well I now know that that area is off limits. Like, it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to touch it because yeah. I figured out, where they're at, and it's just like I don't, I don't want to mess with it. Like that's their spot. Like I don't know, but it's it's, it's the same time. You people can look at it, and like it's public land, you yeah. can do what you want. Like you can go wherever you want, but it's this yeah. Really, you're managing uh, the a personal relationship at that point with like or friendship between whoever. Yeah, and I always look at it if
0: the shoes, you know, if the tables were turned, how would you feel if someone took you a bit under their wing and helped you out and did whatever. And then they showed up with four buddies in a spot that you'd kind of learned over the years. And you said, you know, when the weather comes, here's kind of how the elk behave. You can kind of know they're going to be in this general area. That's sometimes decades of information someone's been kind enough to share with you. Right. I And for me, because of what we do, I tell people, I... I don't want, don't tell me, I, you know, I don't go hunting with my friends who have, you know, I would never ask a friend, hey, can we go hunting together and I want to film your spot, right? I, I just, no, I turn down lots of those situations because I don't want to do it. Now, accidentally, you know, I might know of a spot and it's, it's the same general area someone else hunts. I mean, I. This yeah. year, we went into a place on an elk hunt and ran into some guys, and they start talking about, "Yeah, we've been hunting here for ten years." I'm like, "Oh, cool. How's it? You know, how's it worked? And you know, have you got any? And da da da." And, and yeah, we've shot a few, and and I told them, "Yeah, I've been hunting here since you know 1992 or something," and I. I throw that out there just because a lot of times it can be accidental that someone ends up in the same place you are. It's not like people are creeping around saying, oh, I'm going to follow his truck or I'm going to find out where he's at. Or Maybe people do that. I don't have the time or interest to do it, but do you think people (laughs) really do that?
1: Oh, I'm sure it happens, yeah. But, I mean, that's the thing, too, is this, like, i don't know in my mind it almost comes down to like yeah how they like how they ended up there like if you like you're saying like oh you saw a picture and you recognized it and so then you you end up in someone's spot because of that or like i don't know it's just like you kind of in my mind you're skipping some steps that you're like you know using someone else's work yeah to your advantage without yeah i don't know it's
0: Yeah, I've seen more friendships in the hunting space ruined because of lack of consideration, lack of etiquette, whatever you want to call it, lack of respect. Yeah, for somebody who was kind enough to give you some information, and then you acted like it was yours. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. All
1: right. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, though, I've definitely been guilty of. It's like I have these. I have spots where, whether it's like we grew up hunting there as a family or found on my own or with friends. And I, you know, I kind of guard them almost like I try to be careful with pictures or I try to be careful with telling people where I'm going for the weekend or whatever it might be. But then like I'll, I'll fall into something where maybe I find a new spot and I it's like, I don't have this personal attachment to it. So I go, like, oh, I find the spot. Oh man, I run into a bunch of elk there, and then I do share that with somebody because like, yeah. I don't have this personal attachment. Like, oh yeah, you should go check that out. Like, what? A- yeah. And so, and then, but then that probably is somebody's special spot that I've now just sent a new person into. And yeah. It's just like, it's it's all relative to no. who you know, <laughs> and like what information. It's just it's like a it's a it's a tricky subject for sure.
0: Yeah. And I, I don't know
1: how to handle
0: it other than in my case, I just say, I, you know, I just don't go with people <laughs> or I say, you know, don't tell me. I don't, I don't even want to know because I wouldn't even want the accident or the coincidence of being in a spot they hunt. I Well, that, I, that's happened before where someone's like, man, I hunt there. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. I hunt there too. I've been hunting there for 20 years.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's like the interesting part for us too, that the... That uh, definitely differs from everyone else is the added fact that we go film in right. there, and then <laughs> if you'd been, you know, a lot of times if you've been there, wherever we're filming, you can figure out where we're at, like, right.
0: like. But if you've not been there, yeah, <laughs> you are going to be investing a whole lot of time. Did you say in Google? There's a way to Google Earth. You can oh, yeah, try sure to do. It.
1: F- oh man, like i'm sure people figured out on google earth or whatever it is a maybe or even like recognizing vehicles like oh i happen to drive by and i saw your oh, truck parked at that trailhead and, that or whatever and it's uh and, and that's why
0: around bozeman a lot of times i hunt out of my commuter car yeah not out of the truck yeah and i you know, as as specific as we're going to ever be in our stuff is, hey, we're in central Wyoming, we're in southeast Montana, we're in, you know, that's about as specific as we get out of just trying to get people to focus on how do I learn this research process, this e-scouting process, this application process, how do I learn all that so that you can go do it time and time again and you're not dependent upon watching the next piece of video someone puts out there so that uh, we're driving down the road here and we got we got a truck that's I don't know what's his deal huh you trying to wreck somebody (laughs) but anyhow uh, if most people spent the same amount of time e-scouting and doing the things that you do to really put the puzzle together they'd have way more success but yeah we're just watching video no, after video
1: yeah I and mean, i guess we're kind of getting into t- two different topics of yeah. just the etiquette of sharing spots and then also we're filming them yeah because even like i filmed uh, our archery elk hunt this year i don't think i hardly put a skyline in there and yeah. i have had two people message me and say hey i know exactly where you're at oh they, really but it's because they were there they were hunting in there yeah and they saw us but (laughs) it's like still like uh, it's like even when i go to the lengths of like not even filming a skyline it's like geez people still still know where you're at
0: and you'd mentioned it in the past where if you do recognize it don't comment on youtube where (laughs) hey i know exactly where they're at they're in blah 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 blah
1: yeah you don't need to publicly post it if you figured it out it's like okay you know where we're at you've you've figured it out that doesn't mean you have to share it with everybody yeah because if People who hadn't been there, they wouldn't have figured it out.
0: So ah, part,
1: part of <laughs> what we try to do,
0: and I know, yeah, we are talking about two different topics here, is we try to talk about landscapes and conservation stories and stories about the species, maybe the relationship stories of the people. And to do that, we, we do that because the idea is that it's... Then it becomes something a little more just to shoot them up, bang, bang, on to the next one thing. Right. And so when we do that, we're trying to talk about landscapes and conservation and the issues going on with whether it's invasive weeds or whether it's, you know, fires or... So it's a balance for us. And we try our damnedest. It's, you know, I, I know we put a lot of effort into it.
1: Yeah. Because then those scenarios too, especially if it's like a localized conservation story, it's like, man... I want to tell this story, but then it's like, you don't want to blow up the spot like in terms of hunting either. It's like, God, it's like, it's a struggle.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, but back to the whole idea of if someone shares a spot with you, please, please respect it. And I've had the flips, not the flip side, but kind of a tangent of that where in my CPA life, before we started this, I had the opportunity to hunt. A lot of great private places. Farm and ranch clients would say, "Hey, yeah, to bring your son out, da da da." And so we'd go out and we'd hunt. And there were times I'd brought people out to some of these places. You know, we went pheasant hunting or sharp tail hunting or maybe we went whitetail hunting or whatever. And then I get a phone call. That says, "Hey, you know that guy you brought out here last year? He was just here asking for permission." Well,
1: uh, <laughs> no, don't do that either. <laughs> yeah. So one that's uh, I think there's some things that are somewhat unwritten rules, but I guess I think one of the takeaways for me would be if if you if you're questioning it, maybe whoever spot it is, you should have that conversation with them up front, like this, yeah. like, hey, like just so, like what is, like, you know, yeah, what what are we? Uh, what's the deal here? Like, am I allowed to come back here? Or I mean, the safe answer is probably. No, not right. unless the, you're with the that The default person. answer
0: should be no. <laughs>
1: but again, it's public land. Like there's no law, yeah. but it's just like this like etiquette that yeah. I don't know. It's this at least among yeah Montana hunters. I don't know in my localized view of it. It's just like kind of seems like this unwritten. No, I I think rule. that but, sentiment is stronger in Montana
0: because you have over-the-counter deer, over-the-counter elk. And we have really long seasons, so people spend a lot of time in the woods, and they invest a lot of effort in kind of figuring things out. Right. Whereas, like you'd mentioned, Nevada or Utah or Arizona, New Mexico, you draw a tag once every seven years or something. Yep. You probably haven't developed that attachment. In fact, maybe you've went there and helped someone else who had the tag because you knew it was going to be a long time before you had it again. Right. When you say it's localized... I think it's probably states where you have over the counter opportunities where people can hunt every the same spot every year. Right. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I would say cuz I know some guys in Colorado who are <laughs> they're pretty tight-lipped about their deer and elk spots, same in Wyoming, same in Idaho and Montana, those four states. You can do a lot of over the counter elk and deer hunting or or zero point in some of those states that have points. Uh
1: Yeah, and and the thing is, too, it's like I feel like I I think some people could be listening to this and be like, wow, man, you're kind of stingy with that. But the thing is, is a good spot is only good for so many people. Yeah. And, like, if you start, if you, you know, if everybody figures out, oh, man, this is a really good spot, it's not going to be a good spot anymore. And so there's, there's only so many people that can hunt a certain drainage in a given time without just blowing everything out of there. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the conundrum. It's not just, like... This is my spot. I found it. It's my. It's all mine. It's like you just. You don't want to. I don't know. Yeah, you don't want to run all the game out of there completely. Yeah. So it's, I.
0: I just see it, and I see so many friendships that end over stuff like that. And if someone would have just given it a little more thought, been a little more considerate about it, uh, it would have been. I wouldn't have had that negative outcome. But then there's also, you know, I know some people who, if you hunt within 100 miles of where they're at, you're in their spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Where, where, what's your spot? And <laughs> how many areas are your spot? Quote unquote. I'm saying that with my
1: air quotations of my fingers. Uh, well, if you ask Michael or Dan, they'd probably say that about me. Oh really? Have you hunted here? Yes. Have you hunted here? Yeah. (laughs) Because
0: but but you've been you've been hunting Southwest Montana for however many years. Yeah. No. (laughs) I've been hunting Montana for 28 years, so I I've been to a lot of places, and I hunt a lot. I spend a lot of days. So it's not going to be a big surprise if I run into somebody there or they run into me. I. I just go to the places that I've hunted before. Yeah. And, and if it is someone's quote-unquote spot, there's not much you can do about that. Yeah. Oh. So. <laughs> yeah, sticky subject. Man, we could probably talk about that forever.
1: Yeah, the, I think the, the real big kicker, too, is, like, if you go there and, like, you learn the tactics, you know, to, like, I don't know. It's, like, one thing if you run, I don't know you're running into something like you happen to run into someone you didn't know that it was where they hunted you guys both were in there okay you both figured it out but if you like use the knowledge that they've gained over years and years you know figuring out how the elk navigate through there and how the you know what whatever it might be that's just like that's where you're using in my opinion yeah it, taking an unfair advantage of of that information you know? yeah Wow. I, maybe it, we've beat this topic to death. We can
0: <laughs> move <laughs> well, on now. But. The reason we did is we read about this stuff and you hear about this stuff, and it's like, well, it's definitely a reality in the hunting space. People work hard to find this stuff, and they are rightfully—I don't know—possessive is the right word, but they're they're rightfully concerned about the effects of. Their former friend bringing four of his buddies in there and setting up camp for the first week of season, right that's so what else we got?
1: Oh did you talk about your uh your previous adventure in Wyoming yet? Oh, my Wyoming deer hunt you know that
0: the, that one has an interesting aspect to it, and people have seen it on YouTube now. It, it's fully aired. Uh, it was a migration hunt, very few tags. And the locals love going out there and watching the deer. Mm-hmm. So you go out there and you run into people who aren't hunting. And they're just there taking video or photographing the deer. And they all come through about a five-mile-wide corridor. Mm-hmm. So everyone knows where the deer are. And it's a, it was one of the, probably the most what I'd call sociable, friendly hunts I've ever been on. And people would recognize us or their rig and they'd stop and we'd visit. And I really enjoyed that part of it. Uh, but there was these guys, uh, uh, Austin and Ty, who we saw them the second day of the hunt, third day of the hunt, and then the day I shot mine. And they'd, we, we spent a lot of time visiting and they spend so much time out there and they've had the tag a time or two. And so. <clears throat> the day i end up shooting this buck they come up and we're visiting they they brought us donuts uh nice uh ty's wife gosh i can't believe her name is slipping right now but anyhow they brought us donuts the last day and uh i it just i i throw that out there because it shows how friendly everybody is and so that afternoon we'd seen some deer and i kept passing and passing and We'd made this big loop out in an area called the rock pile and we hadn't seen much. So we're back up to our main glassing knob and they come up there and, and they say, yeah, we saw a buck out in the rock pile. We're gonna go look at him again. And so they do and I see them drive out of sight and they don't come out of the drainage. And so I'm like, well, I know where they're at. I'm gonna drive out there. And this was probably an hour after they'd left, you know, go see what they're looking at, get there. They're on their spotters and If people watch the footage, they're going to hear me almost apologize for the fact that these guys found that deer. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't a deer I found, and I'm having this conundrum with the camera of, look, I've been passing and passing, waiting for an old buck. This is the old buck, the kind of thing I'm looking for, but I'm not the one who found him, so I'm here to just tell you, I didn't find this buck, but I'm going to go make a stock on it. And... I know. I just feel that being honest with the audience is the way to do it, and also giving credit to the guys who found it. Yeah. Uh, they have a an Instagram page, Kreta uh, K R E T T A Hunting, I think. Anyhow, uh, go look at it. They got amazing footage and pictures of all those bucks out there in that part of Wyoming. So, I'm thinking, all right. We have no cover. It's me and two camera guys behind me. The odds of us getting in range of this thing is about zero, especially with this crosswind and the only approach angle I have. Da da da. Well, long story short, get a 340-yard shot on it. Fire drill. It's the it's the most stressed out I've ever seen Michael in the three, oh, really? three seasons he's filmed with us. <laughs> <laughs> because he's trying to get on the right deer, and they're all bunched up, and there's two bucks in there, the big buck yeah. and then an average buck. And I have them at, I think it was 180 yards or 280 yards. I can't remember. Anyhow, I'm like, you on him!" He's like, which one? Well, I'm making sure that he's on the right buck. They take off. yeah, And he feels like, oh, man, I just screwed it up, blah, blah, blah. Well, fortunately, they stop out. They actually make kind of a loop back towards us and now michael knows which one it is he's like it's the one by the rock he's ranging he's giving me reading i'm like yeah 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 <laughs> and then when i shot it and it fell i have never seen michael that he was more excited than i was <laughs> uh nice. but yeah wyoming does a great job and a big shout out to the wyoming migration initiative based out of the university of wyoming with those deer in western Wyoming, and, and I, I mean, they're doing the same study, not just for mule deer, but for antelope, for elk, for everything. It's very, very impressive what those deer and elk and stuff go through. And now they're taking this technology all this GPS collars and the way they can do all this. And what they are learning is unbelievable. Before yeah, that cool hunt, stuff. I spent so much time Researching this migration initiative, and I'd known about it for quite a few years. But I ordered their book. Uh, go to the Wyoming Migration Initiative and order their book. It's worth every penny of it. Uh, if you can donate to their cause, uh, I I just think they're doing great stuff, and hopefully they can keep doing it because it's in my mind it's making a big difference for for wildlife, and I. When I hear how some of their tactics or tricks or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. methodologies, are being applied now in other other Western states, I was like, yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah. That's, we need more of that. How, how can I support that? How can I help that? And uh, so, yeah, it was a great hunt. But unfortunately, cool. it took maximum points, so I'm never going to draw it again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'll happen. But... A lot of people who were out there who have had the tag before or just the locals who observe, everyone knows that Wyoming had a really hard winter last year. Western Wyoming did. And then two winters prior to that, so the winter of 16, 17, they had the most brutal of brutal winters. And so, yeah, the deer numbers were down. The age class was certainly disrupted by those hard winters, but, you know the managers wildlife managers can't do anything about that right and so i just i went out there with the idea of hey it was max points i'm gonna have as much fun as i can and it was an absolutely pleasurable hunt
1: It was a really but, nice buck too
0: yeah it was, it was <laughs> i mean the the record book crowd isn't gonna get that worked up about it but it had a lot of character a lot of math oh, um uh, yeah i i'd, I'd shoot the same buck if I had the tag again without even blinking an eye. <laughs> and nice. So I I don't know. I maybe I'm just I, I love watching meal deer. Especially when they're starting to get ready or when oh, they are yeah, ready.
1: It's, it's fun. I, I mean even
0: here on this hunt we were just on, we saw some nice bucks. Oh yeah. Goofing around, acting goofy, the the rut's still lingering a little bit. Yep that's fun to just watch them and so i don't know i'll probably never shoot a really big uh mule deer buck because i'm happy to shoot okay nice <laughs> mule deer buck so you know the old saying you can't shoot a lunker if you shoot a nice one well that's me Probably will never happen.
1: I I thought it was a giant one. I guess, but my my uh, sense of what a big mule deer is probably warped <laughs> living in Montana. I guess.
0: Yeah, apparently
1: I, Wyoming and Colorado and Idaho. And yeah, Nevada, they, have the, they have they have a little bit bigger deer. Than yeah, deer. they have
0: a different version of a whopper compared to <laughs> to what we have. But I guess, yeah. Oh well, it's it was fun, and I thank Wyoming for providing a super high quality experience. I I look at what Wyoming does with mule deer. And I'm just so impressed with how they manage for mule deer. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because, I, like you said, I come from Montana, and we, we have a theory that to have more mule deer, you've got to shoot more mule deer. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an opportunity state. Um, yeah. So,
0: so yeah. I, I, you think about Montana being a quote-unquote opportunity state, we do. We hunt, mule deer in the rut.
1: Yeah. With a rifle. With the rifles,
0: yeah. You are not going to have on public land an age class that lives to be what it is in Colorado or Wyoming or Nevada or other places where they don't hunt them with rifles in the rut.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's just what, I mean, that's what Montana hunters as a whole decided they wanted. I right. I mean, they did surveys and... That's yeah. what uh, that's what people wanted, so that's yeah, what we had.
0: You're going to have one or the other. Yeah. You're going to have opportunity in the rut where it's way easier to shoot me there, like we do in Montana, or you're going to have maybe less opportunity or opportunity where it's way harder to find older bucks because of the time of year that the hunt happens or the weapons that you're allowed to use. So
1: Yeah.
0: But we are kind of spoiled in Montana in that we get to hunt deer and elk over the counter. And if we really want to have these super high-quality experiences, you just kind of build points and do your thing Yeah. in some other state.
1: Yeah, we're so. definitely spoiled.
0: You you know that you're <laughs> not in the drawing for the Wyoming Commissioner's Tag. That could be used for a deer, an elk, or an antelope. Employees of yeah. On Your Own oh, Adventures, yeah, no. LLC yeah, figured, are not allowed.
1: I figured. That's all right. So
0: if you, <laughs> if you skip through the, uh, the opening segment where we introduce the sponsors, you might have missed a really important piece. That everyone who signs up for Go Hunt Insider by using promo code Randy and takes advantage of the $50 of free store credit, everyone who does that between July 1 of 2019, so starting five months ago, all the way through June 30th of 2020, us and Gohan are all chipping in and saying, "You know what? Let's go out and we're gonna buy one of these Wyoming commissioners tags. And a commissioner's tag, if you have it, you can use it for an elk, deer, or antelope unit. You got to pick what unit, so what season you're gonna hunt, but any in the state. But Marcus, Michael, Dan, the, the whole our crew, not allowed." <laughs> Fair enough. You you guys I'll are just. I'll put
1: in for the super tag might Okay, there I you go. That? All like, right, five dollar donation yeah. or ten dollar, whatever it is.
0: But if you were allowed, you could convert that commissioner's tag to one of these cool Wyoming deer hunts. There you go. So, I, I I don't know why that came to mind when <laughs> when we brought it up, but anyhow, uh, yeah. If you sign up and use promo code Randy, get $50 of store credit, and get your name in the hat for the Wyoming Commissioner's Tag. And we're going to buy it from a group that we all are comfortable with is doing the right thing for wildlife. Because some of those Wyoming Commissioner's Tags get given to the club-footed, gray-haired Finlanders, of which I'm the gray-haired Finlander. You know, the club-footed, gray-haired Finlanders of... Sheridan County or something or Bighorn county or and they don't do anything for wildlife, so rest assured that the one that we I've talked to go hunt and we've agreed that whatever one we purchase is gonna go gonna be from a group that does good things and uh-huh. we're, there's no strings attached it's not like we have to film it or we're just saying here's the tag if you want us to film it, maybe we could fit it in our calendar, but we don't we just want someone to go have a great hunt. Yeah, cool. And I got to thinking about it. Here, here's the way I got to thinking about it is I've had my share of those kind of hunts. I've been doing this multi-state, applying as a non-resident since 1995. So over the course of those 20-some years, I've had tons of great hunts, and they are a ton of fun. And I hope that whoever wins this they go and mostly focus on having fun because those hunts usually have very few tags, so it's a quality experience you're usually going to see a good age class of animals, and uh that's really all you can ask for. there's no guaranteed outcome, no matter what tag you have. I've learned that the hard way where I thought, "Oh, you got this tag, you're pretty much guaranteed a three hundred and sixty inch bull elk. Mm, no <laughs> so. Whoever wins it, hopefully they'll do that. And if you draw some great tag, I guess an added point to that is when you're doing all these applications for the upcoming year, don't put so much pressure on yourself that it it takes all the fun away. And I say that not because I've never done that before. I say that because I have done that before And now having the benefit of reflection, I wish I had not put so much pressure on myself.
1: Yeah, I kind of, I don't know if it's having followed you on a couple of those hunts or just seeing how much pressure sometimes, and not that you really, I feel like you handled it pretty nonchalantly on the glory tags that I've been along with, but uh, it's almost making me want to not build a ton of points (laughs) like i don't want to have to like put all this pressure I not that i i mean i would try to like i try to just relax about it but it's hard like if you're like man it took 15 years to draw this tag man i better make sure i do it justice yeah so i just kind of want to i'm and i'm in the mood of burning points as soon as possible (laughs) it's like if if at all possible like a whatever might be considered a mid-tier unit, like, I'm all in. That's kind of how I feel about it right
0: now. (laughs) No, I'm glad that someone at your age, Markers, can look at it that way, because I couldn't, when I first started, I was about the, oh, this is such a unique opportunity. I got it. That's what I want. I'm going to save points until I absolutely know I can get this one. And then after you have two, three, four of those kind of hunts, it's pretty easy to realize that you know, this can be a bit overrated or a lot overrated. I'm just going to go back to what you just said, burning points. Yeah. I just want to go more.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. that being said, I haven't personally really had any crazy tags. I have, I don't know if I've ever I'm trying to think of... Yeah. <clears throat> I, I've never drawn a tag that requires a ton of points. The, the closest thing, I guess, last year was Wyoming we burnt, like, six points or something on a antelope hunt.
0: Okay. And so, you and your dad.
1: Yep, yep, my dad. I mean, and hopefully I, you
0: guys had a ton of fun.
1: Yeah, we did, for sure. But that's, I mean, I i think it helps that I just don't know what a quality antelope looks like. <laughs> it's hard, <laughs> it hard to get matter. worked up when you don't really know what you're looking at. Like, yeah, eh, okay, whatever. Shoot, <laughs> shoot a nice one. But, uh,
0: well, for me, the first time that I felt that intense pressure, I drew... Nevada elk and early rifle elk in Arizona in the same year, 2005. Yeah. And I'd had some other good tags before that, but I'd never felt as much pressure as I put on myself that year. And I shot two really nice bulls, nothing. You know, that's uh, the the record book folks need to get their tape measures out for. <laughs> But I reflected on that after the haunts, and they weren't as fun as I thought they would be. And it was all my fault. I'm the one who caused them to not be that much fun. Hmm. Because That's... I had, I felt, oh, it's taken me all these years to draw this tag. I got it this. I got it that. Anything less than this, blah, blah, blah. And that, that was, in some respects, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because since then, I don't care what tag I've had. And I've still had some really good ones since then. Yeah. It's like,
1: eh, I'm going to have fun. And, uh, so. Yeah, the ones I'm worried about is if I draw, like, a bighorn sheep tag or a moose tag or or even a goat tag. That's, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure how I'd handle it. I can't decide. I I have no idea. I don't (laughs) know. I'd like to think, like, oh, I'll just, you know, have a fun time and shoot it, whatever. But I, I'm not sure if I... I don't know.
0: I think when I was younger and hadn't kind of mellowed in my perspectives on it, just due to the good fortune of being able to do it as much as I do, if I would have drawn a bighorn sheep tag in Montana, I'd have stressed myself out so bad, I could have almost ruined the fun of it. <laughs> now, if I ever draw, and the odds are slightly less than one divided by infinity. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to go spend as much time up there as I can for the fun of being in sheep country right. and watching sheep and learning sheep through all the season. You know, the They're doing something different in September than they are in December, than they are in November. And let it be that, you know what? When the setup is what I want it to be and it's the ram I'm interested in, then I'd probably... Be fulfilled with it. Yeah. I hope. Now that I said all that, if I draw, <laughs> you'll say, Randy, I've never seen you this stressed out in my life. Uh. Oh, wow. Well. I, I, if Montana's listening, you know, we could do a lab experiment about that and see if it really worked out. See if I did get stressed out or if I could just be leisurely and... <laughs> laid back about it, but no, it's stuff like that. It enters my mind <clears throat> after having just spent an entire season on the road doing this stuff and reflecting on how lucky we are to do what we do. Oh yeah, I mean, like a day like this hunt. Yeah, it, I'll admit it's the closest this endeavor has ever come to being drudgery work. Was standing there in that wind. And knowing, you know, having all the distractions. But even that said, I wasn't the guy who got told I got to clean the crapper all week this <laughs> week. And like you said, I was outside on the public lands, enjoying the beauty of fresh snow and some mule deer bouncing around. and so
1: Yeah, have it pretty dang good, really. Yeah. I, you might not, it might be a at times miserable in the moment when it's cold or you're tired or whatever, but whenever I feel like that, it's like uh, I have the coolest job in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Stop being Uh. negative. (laughs) It's like yeah, very spoiled, very lucky. That is. I'm I'm
0: glad you feel that way. Uh, And folks, I didn't pay him to say that. (laughs) Um, Marcus is just a special individual who If you get to spend any time with him, you'll realize his passion for being outdoors and adventure and all the fun things that we do. And um, I know it comes across in our content because people remark that, man, this this made me feel like I was right there. So I appreciate all your hard work doing it, Marcus, even on those days when it feels like you're the guy cleaning the crapper. Uh, but we have application season in front of us. So that's always a, it's a pretty big deal at our office. Cause we try to get 10, 12, 13 tags a year. And we are spoiled. We have our Montana over the counter deer and elk. Yeah. And there's so many of us there now that we end up with plenty of opportunity there. And then we do, some over-the-counter hunts, like we, I always do the over-the-counter archery coos deer in Arizona, so we don't have to draw that one. We've had fallback years where we've done over-the-counter elk in Colorado. Um,
1: yeah, I'm I'm definitely intrigued by the over-the-counter stuff. Kind of that same mindset, just burning burning points going on hunts rather than. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of cool over-the-counter opportunity. Oh yeah. Or even not necessarily over the counter but just stuff where you can draw it with no points or one yeah, point zero
0: or, points one point or as your third choice or fifth choice yeah. or whatever yeah
1: I so guess i probably should feel a little less like that after today <laughs> <but> maybe, <laughs> well, maybe trying to find those
0: yeah we just did our alaska applications those were due earlier this week but yeah. alaska is a place that has a ton of really good over-the-counter hunts
1: oh man well, that i am very very intrigued by <laughs> yeah but the logistics and the costs right. definitely get up there yeah. I think, no doubt i think that we could do some interesting stuff though i think there are i mean i tried to do it earlier this year with that alaska moose hunt but there's some lower cost potentials that yeah I'm definitely interested in exploring i think uh you don't necessarily have to you know fly way in somewhere or some crazy logistics i think there's potential for some hunts that don't break the bank but i don't know i could be wrong but i Um, definitely did not shoot a moose this year (laughs) it was my first try at it so i don't
0: know well we've done alaska sitka blacktail twice
1: that one is fun
0: and you don't have to do it as crazy as we do and go through all the effort to go to the places we do, and you could still have fun up there. Yeah. And but a I think,
1: cool place,
0: cool deer. And if, you've,
1: you've talked about it before too, though. I mean, with those flight services, if you if you do it right and you do it with the right a three people or whatever it is, and you have a you know not a ton of gear, you can split the costs and it. Yeah. You can make them somewhat reasonable.
0: Yep. Yeah, and the quality of your experience definitely goes up. If you pay that little bit extra to fly somewhere where some people aren't willing to to do that.
1: Well, and then Southeast, this kind of seems like na- Southeast Alaska, this nature of the game. It's yeah. hard to get anywhere without a boat or a plane, <laughs> float plane.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, plan on boats and planes. What, what was the old movie with John Candy? Planes, trains, and automobiles? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Only one of those three work in Southeast Alaska. You aren't getting anywhere on a train, really. And you're really not going very far in an automobile. <laughs> <coughs> Which is, that kind of logistics does add some cost to it. But like you said, if you think it out and you plan it out, you, it's it's not something that is a $10,000 bill.
1: Right, because what's a, like a, is a beaver, beaver's the one that you can get three people on. right. And those flights, I guess it right. depends on what flight service you use. Yeah, but our,
0: when we do the beaver where we fly out on the black bear hunt, that trip is usually, and it's dependent upon air time. Right. You know, how long you're in the air. But for us to, for them to bring us out and then bring us back is usually about a 1200 to $1,300 bill. Right. So if you, you had three people and split that, that's... What? Yeah. four hundred and fifty dollars a piece. Yeah. Well, that's that's pretty reasonable to get out there and have that kind of experience.
1: Oh yeah, that's. I mean, that's the thing too. Is I spend way more on that and fueling my pickup in a season. So if I, I guess if you like allocate your budget accordingly, depending on, I don't Yeah, that's that's pretty reasonable. Th- split three ways.
0: Yeah, and I. When we were talking off mic earlier today about kind of a general plan of things we want to do for the upcoming year to tell landscape stories and conservation stories and public land stories, it's amazing how many of those hunts we threw out there as good stories that were over the counter. Yeah. Or almost zero points. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of... Yeah, my mind's racing with all the potential potentials.
0: <laughs> but if Montana wants to take all of my sheep points or all of my moose points, <laughs> we'll go tell a conservation story about that. Also,
1: yeah, uh-huh. I'm worried I'm going to be drawing that goat tag here pretty soon. You I think got so? Got max points for mountain goat, Montana oh. In theory. I I can't Whoa. remember what my odds are. I mean, it's not, you, there's no you? preference, so it's all still. You got
0: to. Are you going to film it?
1: Uh, that'd be up to you, I guess
0: no, that'd be up to you.
1: well, I think that where I would like to hunt is not in a wilderness area, it's so we not. Could, it's not, so, so we, could we potentially get a film permit there, <laughs>
0: yeah, so if anyone's wondering for us in Region one of the Forest Service, which is Montana, parts of Wyoming parts of Idaho, I think we can't get a film permit in a designated wilderness area, so we got to get a commercial film permit on any. BLM, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, or U.S. Forest Service lands. Which we should. I mean, we're using a public resource, Uh, but they won't. In that part of the Forest Service, they won't let us film in wilderness areas. We go to other parts of the country, and they'll let us. The Forest Service will let us film in wilderness areas. So when Marcus brings up, oh, we could film it because it's not in a wilderness area. That's kind of what we're referring to. One more complication of what we do that yeah. people probably aren't aware of, but but are you handling all the film permits for the upcoming year?
1: Uh, if you want me to, I was, I did. Well, I did some of them this year, but it was,
0: yeah, I uh, it's a uh, yeah, yeah F-
1: fun game. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's just a lot of detail work, and the bad part is we don't know what permit or what tags we have until May, June, July. And then we tell a, a permit officer who's already way understaffed and over over uh, burdened with not just film permits but all kinds of commercial activities going on on public land. And we say, "Oh, can you have this back to us by this date?" They're probably like, "These guys, no." That's oh, probably yeah. what they want to say. Well,
1: and it all depends on what office it is too, on yeah. how much. Yeah. What they have, what their policies and what their protocols are for how they handle it. But yeah, I get it. It's, uh,
0: yeah. And now that we've been doing it for so long, we know a lot of these permit officers across the West. Uh, Alicia in Nevada, you are the shining example of (laughs) film permits, Uh, the easiest person all the time. People probably wonder why we apply for
1: tags on BLM land in eastern Nevada.
0: It's because of how good she is to work with to get us our film permits.
1: You're probably going to get her in trouble now. She's probably supposed to make it more difficult. No, if if her boss is listening, <laughs> give her a raise. Yeah.
0: Let her go teach a class on film permit application. Perfect, yeah. And same with Jeff here in Montana. Oh yeah, he's been really nice. It's been yeah. good. And and also Jane here in Montana. Just great people. Yeah. Cat. Um th- yeah, we've we're lucky that we've we've found some people who are really good at it and make our job easier. And so, I'll be honest, if it's kind of a flip of the coin of should we apply here or apply there? A little bit of what goes into my thought is how easy is it going to be to work with that film permit officer? Yeah. I shouldn't let that happen, but that's just a practicality of lessening my headache and <laughs> lowering the burden. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but well, I think we're gonna let the people go, Marcus. All right. <laughs> I wish we had an elk story to tell them rather than a Randy being a candy ass and <laughs> giving up. Uh, I don't really feel like I gave up. I think I. I feel like I came down here. We did give it the effort, and we just realized that in this short window of time we have, we're we're like, we're pushing a rope here. Yeah. So. But we learned a lot. We did. There uh, was
1: a lot of lessons from uh, the last couple of days.
0: Yeah. I think we uh. learn more when we get frustrated and fail than when we have success land on our lap. Or at, uh, at least I feel that yeah, way. Yeah, you
1: definitely learn from failure. That is for sure.
0: Or I hope I learn from failure. Maybe I'm one of those stupid people that just <laughs> got to make the same mistake over and over and over. But. Well, folks, thanks for listening. Hope you all have a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I hope 2020 is your best hunting year ever. And uh, wishing you nothing but health and happiness. Thanks for being here.